Hi, everybody. Welcome to another Prog Report interview podcast. As always, if you've missed any old interviews or podcast episodes like our top fives, they're all available on progreport.com and our podcast outlets. And one of the albums that I really enjoyed listening to is the latest from the Mute Gods, their third album, Atheists and Believers. It comes out on March 22nd. The Mute Gods are the band with Nick Beggs, Marco Miniman, and Roger King. There's also some guest appearances on the album, including Alex Lifeson, who plays on the latest single. I'm really pleased to welcome back to the show, Nick Beggs. How's it going, man? Good. How you doing, buddy? I'm good. I'm a little <laughs> tired, but apart from that, I'm fine. It's the tour that uh, the long tour that I've been on that's been really tiring. This is uh, this is quite sedentary in comparison. Yeah. So I mean, you were on tour what for close to what was it? Was it almost a year? It was over a year. Yeah. It was. It was 14 months. Wow. Yeah. All over the world. I mean, that was pretty. Uh, Pretty awesome. So you get some time off now. How much time, how much downtime do you get now? Um, I get two weeks and I go into rehearsals with Howard Jones. And then I go to America for five shows. Oh, that's cool. I knew you played with Howard Jones. Is, is that something that you've still kept up sort of in between, you know, the Stephen Wilson gigs and things like that? Well, I have a kind of open dialogue with all the people that I played with. And from time to time, they asked me to go back and do things with them. And I saw Howard last year at the twi- uh, the Cherry Red anniversary show, because he did a sort of uh, thing for the company. And uh, I went back and hung out with him, and he said, listen, we've got to do something again. And I said, well, that would be great. And he just fired a sequence of dates at me, and he said, what are you doing in March 2019? And I said, at the minute, finishing up with Stephen Wilson, but then tell me what you've got in mind. And he just suggested that we did this trio thing, and went to America. I think he wants to do more with that. So I'd probably be doing some more stuff with him. So where are you going to be in the U.S.? We're doing three three shows in uh, Colorado, a show in uh, Salt Lake City, and a show in Hawaii. Oh, very cool. Wow, I, that's a yeah. show I'd love to see too if you guys ever make it towards the East Coast. Uh, I'm a big Howard Jones fan from back in the day as well. Yeah. He's fantastic. Yeah, he's, uh, he's, he's a dear... He's a dear friend as well. We, we have a lot of history together. Oh, that's awesome. I didn't know that. So, uh, of course, we're, we're here to talk about the Mute Gods album, Atheists and Believers. Uh, comes out March 22nd. Third album in four years. Uh, four years even. So I know when you started the band, it was around 2014 when, you, when it first got to happening, uh, and you weren't sure you even wanted to do it. Did you expect you'd already be on, a, on your third album so quickly and still continuing it? Well, I wanted I wanted to release an album every twelve months um, over the three album cycle, so I'm a little bit behind schedule. <laughs> uh, but I I did have a three album concept, and I did want to say certain things, and I feel that I more or less stayed true to form, um, even though it's. I felt uncertain at times, but looking back over it now, I feel like it's turned out pretty much as I envisaged envisaged it. Yeah, I mean, the, well, you don't stay away from anything controversial. You're going at that state of the world, politics, uh, you know, knuckleheads, as you like to call them, or idiots, as you've called them on, on previous albums. Yeah. So, I, yeah. I mean, you've do you ever get... Do you ever get worried about any feedback or negative feedback or you just don't even pay attention to that kind of thing? No, I, I don't. 
to be honest with you, I don't tend to read many reviews. I certainly don't go on social media to um, garner support. I felt that if I was going to do this project and I had to write on subjects that I felt um, honest and um, visceral and passionate about, and I knew that I was going to, um, some people would be insulted by what I had to say. But I, um, I'm not shrinking away from those because those are my opinions, well, and everybody it... has the right to have their opinion, and and you don't have to no you know people have the right to disagree with me as well. Uh, but with with a project like this, once you start it, you have to see it through. Yeah, no, I think it's it's great and it's brave and it's important that we have artists that speak their minds. Absolutely. I mean, do you constantly watch the news and, or yeah. you do? So <laughs> I was wondering, does it make, so how crazy does it get you on a daily basis? Um, I have, I have a sort of bedrock of, I know, I know what to expect. I've got this default setting, which is a, um, like, yeah, well, I knew that was coming. That was only a question. <laughs> and it's like, so I, it's almost like, um, I'm watching it knowing what's coming next. Yeah. It's like sort so of nothing a, surprises me. Nothing it, surprises me. It's like a messed up movie that we're all watching or living. It's yeah, great. it is, but it kind of I almost know the ending. Yeah, exactly. So I'm wondering, you've been on, on tour with Steven now, multiple cycles, you know, playing a variety of different types of music that he does and, and larger audiences here and there. Um, you know, what have you learned from being on tour with him and, and seeing what he does musically? And did that affect anything you do with the Mute Gods? Well, I think everything that I've done has affected me, um, either intentionally or unintentionally. We learn by rote, but, you, but we also absorb things um, unintentionally. And then there's the things that we really like that we kind of try not to duplicate. I, I think that's really important. Here's something that you really like. I think it's important not I think it's important to stay away from it. My feelings about working with Steve were, well, both the Steve, Steve Hackett and Steve Wilson, were I, lear I learned that through working with them, I, I have a new audience. I had the potential of having a new audience. And I'm very grateful to them. Um, their unintentional gift to me, really, was by association. Um, numbers of people are kind of tuning into what I'm doing in a new way, which for the first time in my life, actually, I've had a, a voice to be solo and to um, completely be in control of because I've never had this type of scenario before. Even when I was writing in the 80s, I was writing with other people. These songs are written by me and this is my um, vision and I'm, I'm able to uh, call upon people I really respect and ask them to work with me in a in a completely different way to anything I've ever done before. So that's what it's it's taught me above everything else. That I I too can have, have um, a platform. Yeah, that's great. Um, is this something you think you would continue past the three albums? Um, at the moment, I don't know. I've certainly put a full stop after it, after this third record. I've put a full stop 
Um, and I don't, and what happens next will affect what happens next. Right. Uh, I'm looking, I'm looking to find shows. I'm looking to promoters and agents to get on board and help me realize the project live. Um, and if that comes together and it works out well, I may, I may continue, but at the moment I've gone as far with it as I want to without rethinking it because I would have to re rethink the whole thing. Right. So musically, I think this album is a bit, it has a few more mellow moments, maybe a bit more serious musically. I think it's a bit more diverse. Was there anything mu that you were going for in particular uh, music side? Not, not necessarily lyrically, but uh, you know, trying out some new things as compared to the previous albums. Well, I wanted the albums to be have a different footprint. I wanted them to not sound the same, but I wanted them to have a Mute God's um, overarching approach. So uh, that was important to have something endemic threaded through all three albums. But the first record, I think, has more of a progressive leaning. I think the second record has more of a metal leaning. And I think the third album has more of a pop leaning. Yeah, I think that's probably a... Yeah, I could see that. I really love the title track. I think that's... I don't know, might be my favorite one of the three albums. I think it's just perfectly done. It sounds like it easily could could have been a hit at 80s to also, 90s also. You know, it just has that kind of vibe to it. It's, it's memorable. Thank you. Um, you know, talk about how that song came together and, and was... Was that song maybe the one that was the beginning of, of this album project or was there was there a different maybe starting point when you when you started writing? Well, strangely enough, the, the piece that I wrote first for that album, for this album, was a piece which I wrote before I even started work on the first album. Um, and it's a piece called I Think of You, which finishes the entire record. I wrote this, that song, that piece, the instrumental piece, before I even conceptualized the Mute Gods, but I didn't know it was going to be the last track on the, on the third album. Um, I, I, have a, I have a vault of material which I keep um, adding to. It's quite a large, um, how can I say, portfolio of, of uh, assorted pieces and I, I think I wrote that piece probably about seven years ago. Um, and it, it was just percolating and I'd come back to it and I'd add bits to it. And I thought there's something here. I really like it. This has some kind of catharsis connected to it. Um, and so when I had written the album, the third album, and had it more or less in, in shape, I thought we need something to finish this off in a, in a different way to any of the other albums. And I, I came back and I listened to that piece. There were other contenders, but I felt that this piece was um, probably the, the healing balm in the open wound. Um, yeah, I think that says it all with regard to that track. I meant to... I, I wanted to also get your thoughts on the, the title track of the new album. So how was that? How did that song come together? Well, I, I felt that I hadn't quite finished um, on a 
the subject subject matter that um, was left over from Do Nothing Till You Hear From Me. The title track of that album um, has some pretty serious connotations lyrically, and I felt there was more to say. And um, I thought, how am I going to go about this? How am I going to really get my point across? And I looked at various um, incidents that had happened around the world over the past 20, 30, 40 years, 50 years even, and the way in which the media works and the way in which uh, governments and agencies work around the world. And I crystallized the idea through um, that process. And basically what it means is this. There is a, there's a scientist who came up with um, a, a, a concept called the Fermi Paradox. And he, what he did was he kind of did a, a mathematic equation to predict how many habitable Goldilocks planets there might be in the universe. We started in our, ne our near solar system planets first, and then he went out to our galaxy, and then he went out to the Milky Way, and he extrapolated from that the exponential growth of planets potentially uh, throughout the universe that could uh, house intelligent life. And once he had that figure, he couldn't believe how big it was. And he, he sat with his colleagues, one day over dinner and said, okay, well, this is a vast number of potential intelligent life forms out there in the universe, but where are they all? How come we haven't heard from them? Well, the song Atheists and Believers is based around the concept that SETI and NASA have already made contact with extraterrestrial intelligent life but they haven't told the general public and that uh, they embark on these um, forays into uh, interstellar space trying to find life as a PR exercise to manage the subject because the governments of the world are not ready for us to be told yet and that's what that song's about. Maybe your next thing is to write a sci-fi novel or something. I think that might be something you could do. Well, um, I've got to be honest with you, Roy. I don't see it as a science fiction concept. I see it as a quite likely reality. There's a tremendous amount of evidence, a tremendous amount of people coming forward to state categorically that that is the case. A tremendous amount of both military, government, intelligence, um, experts stating, ex-members of NASA, uh, saying that, yeah, that's the way it is. We do know. We've seen it. We've, we've been there. Um, but the powers that be, or the parallel dark corridors of the machine that's built to win, don't want us to know about it yet. And when you're, when you're scouting around looking for subject matter for an album, this is a fascinating concept. Yeah, it is. It works great with, with this kind of music for sure. Yeah. 
That's awesome. Uh, you also have some guests. Uh, Alex Lifeson is on on the new single that just came out one day. So how'd that happen? Um, I was working with Steve Wilson uh, a few years ago, and we got a, a, a missive from Rush uh, saying that they were doing an anniversary release of 2112. Right. And they picked numbers of people who were fans of the band to re-record the album. So, you know, Billy Corrigan was going to do a piece and um, uh, Dave Grohl was going to do a piece. And they asked Steve to do uh, a track called The Twilight Zone, which is a song on B the B-side of the album. And so we rehearsed it. We learned it and rehearsed it up. And then one afternoon in Soundcheck, we recorded it um, on stage and we sent it to them and they loved it. And uh, they put it on the record. Um, so with that, Alex came along to see us play at the Massey Hall in Toronto. He came backstage and we had a couple of glasses of wine and talked and had our photograph taken together. And I kind of had access to him from then. And Marco Miniman's been working with him recently too. And I just happened to say to right. him while we were, we were doing the tracks for the album, I said, listen, I'll tell, tell Alex I said hi, but send him some stuff and see if he's interested in, you know, putting some guitars down and almost straight away, Alex said, I really like this track. I'd like to work on this track. So, uh, he, he did. That's, that's awesome. That <laughs> that's very cool. Yeah. That's awesome. When you get, get guys like that. I mean, are, were you a big rush fan growing up? Is that one? Oh, of yeah. The, yeah. yeah. Yes. Huge. Yeah. Have you ever thought about doing, uh, something like the, the cruises, you know, the cruise to the edge and all the stuff that's around. Is that something you've ever, ever thought about with, with the mute gods or, I don't think that's the right platform to launch a new band. I think it's I think it's I think it's for legacy artists. I think it's for people who have back catalogue and I think it's it's more suited to that environment. But I don't think the cruise suits uh, is a platform. Well, I certainly wouldn't feel comfortable playing Mute God's shows on the cruise because for that reason. Um, I think I think it's more to do with um, people who want to hear a back catalogue rather than um, a new band that hasn't played live before. And I certainly would rather um, be on terra firma when I when I do it. Yeah, right. <laughs> sure. So, what else is coming up for you? I know you talked about the Howard Jones uh, thing. The Mucods album just came out. Um, you're on break from Stephen Wilson until I guess he has something new down the line, possibly. So, what's going to be the next sort of year or so for you? Well, I am, I've started file sharing with Stephen for the new album. We, we're trying, we're, we're throwing a few ideas around, and uh, you know, he's he's uh, galvanizing that new direction, which is, sounds great. Uh, but I also have a couple of other projects on the go. I am working on releasing a double album of instrumental Chapman stick pieces later in the year. And also I'm working towards a project with Craig Blundell and Adam Holtzman. That's very cool. Instrumental, I guess, or, or singing. Uh, there will be some, there will be some songs on it, but it'll be predominantly instrumental. Right. And you also played on Adam Holtzman's um, album that, that he put out yeah. last year. Cool. Yep. Awesome. Yeah, I think you sing on that, right? Am I remembering that right? Yeah, I wrote a song. Yeah, I wrote the song "Truth Decay" for him. Yeah, that's right. That's something else to check out. All right, man. Well, 
always a pleasure to talk to you. I really hope to see you again soon. Um, sounds yeah. like there'll be another Stephen Wilson thing coming around, which I assume will follow yeah. another long world tour for you. So all the best. The new album is fantastic. I love listening to it. So great job on that, man. Thank you very much. All, all right, the man. best to you, Roy. You too, man. Thank you. Bye. See you soon. Bye-bye. Thanks to Nick for the interview. I'm going to close with the title track off the album. This is Atheists and Believers. For upcoming news and interviews, please check theparkreport.com. Follow us on Facebook, at The Park Report on Twitter and Instagram, and download the podcast on parkreport.com, Stitcher, Podbean, Google Play, and iTunes, and on YouTube. Thanks. Thanks.